0: This is episode 29 of the Portland Real Estate Podcast. We are back again this week here in our virtual studio. I, as always, am your host, Tucker Merrihu, and I'm with my co-host here, Steve-O. What's happening, Steve?
1: Hey Tucker, good to be back on the show. We had a really exciting episode last week and I think we've got a lot of great stuff as well this week. We're supposed to be getting some breaks in the weather. It's been just drizzle and rain for days and days and days, but I think we're turning the corner and I bet by the time we release this episode, I think we're going to have blue skies. What do you think?
0: Yeah, I saw 65 degrees on the agenda maybe for Friday, which I think will be a, a nice precursor of hopefully what's to come next yeah, month and the month after.
1: Break, so. I'm
0: excited for two days of sunshine in a row. I don't think we've seen that in <laughs> – I don't even know how long. So, uh, you know, that's that I am absolutely ready for. But we did have a great episode last week. For everybody that's listening, if you haven't, checked it out with Terry Sprague. He really gave a lot of great information. Uh, we just talked to Dan about our download numbers, and they were huge. So obviously, he was a hit. And you know, for any of you guys interested in the high-end market, go back, check out that show. He was gracious enough to be our guest, and I think it was a fantastic show. But we're on to this week. And this week, we don't have a guest. It's just going to be me and Steve. We're going to talk about what's going on with each of us. We've got some pretty cool topics to chat about. But we're also going to focus then on what's going on with the market. This is going to be our market recap show, and uh, we've got a lot to say about that as well. Before we get into that, what's going on with you, Steve?
1: Yeah, so it's been an amazing week for me, Tucker, both on the brokerage side and as a broker in the trenches. So on the broker side, you and I kind of chatted earlier in the week about this. I reached out to you about this. I've got a great new development. It's in Hillsboro. It's now in the urban growth boundary. My clients bought it about 12, 13 years ago, and it was just rural fields around them. They were pretty strategic. They got it for about five hundred, some thousand. They knew what they were doing. I absolutely admire and respect them for that. They bought it to live in, but they knew there was going to be a potential there in the future. It's a little over two acres. About five years ago, six years ago, they got annexed into the urban growth boundary or brought into the urban growth boundary. And then the parcels around them started getting annexed into Hillsboro. And D.R. Horton came in and they developed everything around them. These guys are basically, as, as you walk this plot of land, they are just, they are as rural as rural can be, complete with wells and barns and outbuildings. But then you walk the property and there's like houses All the way around them, and the roads actually come to their property ready to just develop the property. There's full utilities there. It does have to get annexed into the city of Hillsborough, which could be, from what I'm understanding, a two year project. But my sellers understand that and they realize that they're going to be involved in this for a little while. And obviously, a developer or builder is going to release some hard money at various intersections along the way as they make progress. So I'm actually co-listing this with one of my other brokers here in Premier Property Group. He's been on the show with us, Steve Alves. He has some fantastic builder-developer experience, so I brought him in on this project. I had first gone there, believe it or not, two years ago, and she told me we're not quite ready yet, but she had me walk the property, and, and we pretty much consummated a deal at that point, and she said, you know, when the time comes, I'm going to call you up. And boy, was I excited to get that call here in the last week and a half. So we've signed the listing contract. We are going to be moving it onto the MLS. We're getting a few things ready, but I will say to our listeners, any builders or developers out there that are interested in a project like this, please reach out to me, and I or, and or Steve Alves will probably chat with you a little bit about it, and we'd love to see what interest is out there and you know, go from there. On the brokerage side... You know, we do something pretty special here at Premier Property Group. We try to recognize, we don't go over the top with it. That's kind of one of the things, you know, some of the executive team has decided is we don't want, we don't want to be over the top in your face, promoting, you know, the top producers and beating all the other brokers over the head that who's number one or posting it constantly. But at the same time, we don't want to be too far in the other extreme where we don't give some recognition to those who who take pride in what they do and do a good job of it. So we have two distinctions within our company. We have what's called the President's Circle, and then we have the Circle of Excellence. The President's Circle is any of our brokers who do 10 million a year and or 36 units per year. We add the 36 units because we understand that it's not fair in some markets, whether that's Gresham or Newburgh, or even van- parts of Vancouver. And as we expand into other markets, it's not fair that you know the brokers in those markets where the average sales price is 250 have to compete with maybe Lake Oswego brokers, who the average sales price is 600 and they have to put their numbers side by side with them. So the unit count kind of keeps it a little bit a common denominator in that regards, regardless of the market. The circle of excellence bracket is $6 million in the past year, or 24 units. So one thing we've been working on this week is we're doing a Blazer suite. It's actually one of the party suites for the President's Circle members. This party suite holds upwards of 50 people. It's got a full bar. It's got catered meal. April 13th, there's a Denver Nuggets game. We've reserved that. We're taking our entire President's circle to that. So we've been kind of working with the Blazers planning that, but we're really excited about that.
0: Yeah, that's cool, man. You know, I've obviously been to a couple of those boxes. Standard TV and Appliance took us back in the old Street of Dreams days, and then another time after that to kind of romance us a little bit, make sure they keep getting our business, which was awfully nice of them. But it's a great team-building exercise, and it's just cool. You guys obviously take care of your bigger guns, so that's cool to hear. Yeah,
1: How's your week been?
0: It's good. You know, I talked about this on the show a couple weeks ago, and I mentioned Dunthorpe, right? We've got a project in Dunthorpe we're starting to break ground on. It's going to be a pretty high dollar project where we're rebuilding our Street of Dreams home but i've just coincidentally uh, over the past couple of weeks had a couple other properties put in front of me that are also in Dunthorpe and i mentioned that Dunthorpe is kind of on the density train you're starting to get these bigger estate properties that are getting split up or partitioned into multiple lots and i actually just got another one of those put in front of me the day before yesterday so i think that's going to hold true i think that's going to be the new theme for Dunthorpe i think some of these you know bigger multi acre parcels you know families are gonna start to look at maybe partitioning them and selling them off just because there's a lot more money that they can make that way Uh, and at the end of the day like I said you know who really needs a seventy five hundred square foot house uh, with a two acre lot you know especially with property taxes where there are these days you gotta have a you know three full-time jobs just to pay your property taxes for some people so I think that's the way Dunthorpe is gonna start going it'll be interesting to see what the pushback is in terms of the people that live there cuz as we all know there is a uh, substantial amount of pushback around town for development redevelopment uh, new houses getting put in and so that kind of segues into an interesting topic that I haven't really brought up on this show I brought it up on another podcast that I've had for the last couple of years we actually have a segment in that podcast called direct mails greatest hits which is basically people that decide to respond to any of our solicitations which are essentially interest to potentially purchase their home at the point that they're willing to sell it and some people Normal people, I will say, get our solicitations, and if they're not interested, they throw it away or, you know, they keep the card if they might be interested in the future, but they don't feel the need to reach out to us and tell us what they think about us without even actually knowing us or really knowing what we're about. Well, this past week, and this happens not all the time but it does happen from time to time and so this past week there's been a condensed amount of these types of responses where we've got from people and i talk often about the crazy people that we have to deal with out there in portlandia and so i've got a few responses here from our direct mail that i wanted to kind of read on the air and then even play a message that i have and i'm i'm interested in your response steve cuz you know it's similar to any realtors out there or yourself if you're sending marketing out because i'm sure you do some marketing to generate listings right probably some direct mail i would assume right
1: Absolutely. Yeah. So yeah. And
0: we do as well. It's a big driver for connecting with property owners that, you know, have property that we would be interested in purchasing for redevelopment at some point. The reality is, is that there is a lot of property out there that's primed for redevelopment inside the urban growth boundary. It's just it's the reality. And some people are accepting of that. Other people are not. And so when we mail and we mail quite a bit in terms of our marketing universe of people that we mail to and some people like I said are are okay with that or you know maybe they sell to us at the point that they want to or maybe they just don't want to others are adamantly against ever selling to anybody that would resemble capitalism development builder anything like that and so I'm not going to get into the exact reasons why people think that way and why I think it's so wrong but I think you'll enjoy some of these responses that I got so this was an email that we got and Mind you, all these responses generally come anonymously. People never leave their name and their property address and say, stop mailing me. They always tell us these terrible things, but they forget to leave us those two most important things so that we can actually stop mailing them, right? Which is kind of funny to me. So anyway, here was the first email we got, and I'll read this email, and then I'll read you a text message followed up by an actual phone call message that I I got this past week, which will be highly entertaining for both you and our listeners, I'm sure. So here's the email. It says, Mr. Merrihew, my neighbors in the such and such neighborhood have received your potential offer for interest in our properties in the mail. We do not support the destruction of our neighborhood by developers. We request that you stay out of Southeast Portland entirely and (laughs) keep your McMansions to yourself. You are not welcome here and will be met with resistance at every turn. Most seriously, a concerned neighbor. So wow, yeah, stay out of Southeast Portland entirely. They've laid claim yeah. to Southeast Portland, kind of a big claim, right? So yeah. that was that's the tone down one, which obviously there's a lot of, <laughs> there's a lot of venom in that email, as you can probably tell. This is another text message that I got from an individual I'll play actually the message for after uh, I read this text message but I got this I was playing hoops the other night and I go to check my phone before I head home and I saw this text message I thought wow that's a real doozy and then I checked my phone after that for the voicemail and it really had a nice one to to kind of uh, correspond with this text message but text message is go to hell I'm reporting (laughs) you and so are our neighbors for harassment you pig go to hell so she's told me to go to hell twice in the text message, and I think four more times in this message here. But I'm actually going to play the message for you. And just everybody out there in Listenerland, don't leave messages like this on people's phones if you don't want it to be exploited at some point. Just a little caveat here. So here is the message.
1: Our home's not for sale. Do not contact us again. We are not looking to sell. I am going to report you. I'm contacting everyone else in the neighborhood to see who else you've been harassing to purchase homes. You are going to hell. What you're doing is evil. You are getting reported. Leave us alone. If we get another mail,
0: it's going to get go further. I have reported you to the state attorney's office. You are harassing people for their homes that are not for sale. This is not okay. All you're doing is showing what a pig you are, what a snorty little <laughs> go snort it up your face and go to
1: hell. So what do you think of that, huh? Very, very ladylike.
0: I, th- <laughs> I thought so, too. So,
1: wow. just Unbelievable, Tucker. Unbelievable. So I love that she's going to report you. And I'd love to know what the legal definition of the crime you've committed is.
0: Well, it's very similar to Les Schwab or Pizza Hut when they mail you out, you know, some type of coupon or, you know, some type of advertisement saying, hey, come in and get, you know, your studs taken off now that wintertime's on. Very similar to that. You know, it's just direct mail and, you know, direct mail is – it's legal to send direct mail and – and mind you, it's not like we're sending them anything that's very you know, edgy or says something like, you're losing your home in 30 days or anything like that. It simply says, hey, we're a TTM development company. We're interested in purchasing properties in this particular area. If by chance you're looking to sell, feel free to give us a call. We'd love to talk to you. That's the gist of it. So really nothing that's very imposing, very threatening. But for some reason, people take it that way. And I think the, the real reason that people take it that way is they don't realize that property ownership is public record, it's public domain. And so I really think deep down the root of this is that they feel like somehow I hired Magnum PI to find out who owns this house. And with after all this digging and and all this work that we did to find that out, I then mailed them that letter. And so I think they just don't realize that it's public information and it's easily found out. And so I think that's part of the root of it. The other root is obviously the fact that there's a lot of hatred towards redevelopment in Portland as we kind of get over the hump of Coming to grips with the fact that Portland's growing up as a city and really understanding that, you know, a lot of these neighborhoods need redevelopment to occur. We have a lot of very old housing stock and we have older housing stock that's on bigger lots that Metro has said they're not pushing the urban growth boundary out because they want those types of properties to be reused in a better fashion to accommodate the more people that are moving here. And so you've got Metro on one side. You've obviously got the developers, the builders who are trying to create a better city. And then you have the residents on the other side that just hate change and they hate capitalism and they hate building and developing and, and you get things like that. So pretty interesting, huh?
1: Yeah, and there's one more reason you get those because there's a lot of cray-crays out there. That's, <laughs> that is true.
0: Uh, there are a lot of cray-crays. And, and believe it or not, we actually get quite a bit of that kind of stuff. We have a stockpile of, I don't know, probably 50 to 100 messages that are equally um, you know, full of piss and vinegar or, or even more. We've had a number of people threaten my life. Uh, one gal even wrote us a letter threatening my life, and she included her return address on the envelope. It wasn't very smart of her, but we still have that one here in the office. So, uh, and that was from, I looked her up. It was actually an older woman in Lake Oswego. So obviously, I didn't take the threat all that real because I'm, I'm pretty sure that a 70 year old woman's not going to come beat me to death here in the office. But at the same time, it's just, it's crazy to me. You know, I would never, approach somebody in that fashion, even if I adamantly disagreed with whatever their position was or whatever they were trying to do. You know, I just I feel like people have uh, they don't have a skill set to be able to deal with any sort of friction or disagreement in their life in a controlled fashion these days. It's like that skill set is completely out the window. And so they just revert to, you know, leaving messages and text messages like that.
1: And because it's direct mail, it's going to homes And you just wonder, I mean, how many of these people deal with the public much? I mean, there's, you know, there's probably shut-ins out there who are getting this. This is their only communication coming at them from the outside world or, you know, one of very little. And man, it just springs out the worst of the worst. And interestingly enough, it sounds to me like it's predominantly women, which is ironic and strange all in one. I would say maybe men, this is the only speculation I have about that. Maybe men are a little bit more careful because they know if they're threatening it's taken more seriously, and they could have a policeman knocking at their door. Whereas women kind of take for granted the fact that they can probably get away with a little bit more. Yeah. I
0: mean, without getting into a sexist conversation here, you know, Chris and I have talked about this quite a bit in the office because we do obviously keep track of the fact that it's probably 95% responses like that come from women as opposed to men. And I think you're right. I think that some men or most men realize that when you make threats to somebody's life or threaten to hurt them or allude to the fact that you're going to do things like that you know there's checks and balances and maybe some of those checks and balances aren't there when the threat comes from a female so i you know who knows but the reality is, is that's what we deal with out there on a daily basis and that's just the beginning right then we buy a project we have to renovate or do construction and we deal with all of the people that then adamantly oppose it through that entire process so You know, for those of you guys out there in listener land that, you know, think that developers make all this money and, you know, it's just easy peasy, I can tell you for certain it's not. We get pushed back on every step of the process. And, you know, that's just one of them there on the front end that I thought I'd share with everybody out there in listener land yeah thanks for sharing that tucker that was that was an eye-opener so beyond that on a more positive front and for anybody out there listening that uh, has clients that are interested in lake oswego area including you steve we're about to list two projects we've got renderings done we're going to put the four plans up and we're going to kind of pre-list both of them probably the beginning of this next week one is going to be on lake grove avenue right off the upper drive neighborhood very desirable part of town we're going to list that one up it's going to be a four bedroom two and a half bath, somewhere between a million and a million two. It's going to be on the market next week, kind of pre-listed. And then we've got a NOS Road project, which is going to be a variation of my own house that gets rebuilt there. It'll be about 5,000 square feet and it'll be four bedroom, really five bedrooms, four bedrooms plus a workout room, plus an office. And I think it's three and a half, four baths. But anyway, it's going to be a very nice house, nice shingle exterior. And it's on a half acre lot on NOS Road right around the corner from where Street of Dreams was this past year. So if you've got any clients out there that are interested and haven't found anything that they like, We'll be listing those here very shortly.
1: Did you give us prices on
0: those two? Yeah, the Noss Road one will be probably just under two million, and the Lake Grove Avenue one will be somewhere between a million and a too.
1: Cool, good price points. Yeah. Good price so, price
0: point. as Terry Sprague said last week, uh, candy, right? Yeah. So, or at yeah. least one of them. The the, yeah. the average is candy. We'll put it that way. So. So, anyway, that's what's going on with me this week, both fireworks side of the business and then also, you know, the sticks and bricks stuff. So, let's roll into what we were going to talk about on the show after we got sidetracked with my text messages and phone messages. Let's talk about the market. What is going on out there these days, Steve, with the new market action report that came out? And then also, you know, what are you seeing being in the trenches having auto listings that are on the market?
1: Yeah, so the market action report came out. It seems like there's a tiny bit of a. Well, it's a little bit more of the same. It's not anything significant, but there was a little bit of a blurb. I was surprised to see that closed sales cooled slightly in February from January. Not much, but down 2.5%. To me, that's not a month that should be slowing down. Going from January into February, I mean, you're going towards spring. I would expect an uptick. So that was a little interesting. I'm not necessarily feeling that, but the data is saying that. It was also further evidenced in the fact that February of 2016 was not what we've been hearing month after month, the best February ever since 92 when RMLS was formed. We've been hearing that, I want to say January, December, November. I mean, we've been hearing that for a little while. This February was the best February since 2007. So you don't have to go back too far to have experienced a little bit better February. So there is a little evidence of a slowdown here. Again, I think it's somewhat inconsequential. It could be a blurp and then we're back on track. I will tell you, and we've talked about this on the show a lot, the market ebbs and flows. It's not just a steady train that's you know faster, 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 faster. I mean, what tends to happen is the market goes really, really strong on the seller side, sellers start to get a little bit unrealistic and it kind of throws a wet blanket on the market. Buyers pull back. They say, this market's too hot. We hear this all the time. Every week I have a half dozen buyers that that say, you know what, we're going to sit for a while. This seems like it's getting a little heated for us. You know, and usually that comes on the heels of, five offers that they've made with multiple offer situations going over asking price and not get still not getting the homes. I just went to a listing appointment yesterday out in Beaverton and I kind of experienced this. Now, this guy was a little unique. I'm not saying this is an average seller, but he was very vocal about the fact that he's not concerned with the condition of his house and he doesn't really think he needs a lot of marketing. That was... In a nutshell, kind of what he said. You know, as I talked about a little bit last week on the show, we try to help strategically improve a house, you know, within reason and and to match the seller's desires to do that. Not everyone wants to do a a massive project, but that's okay. We we can give a few key little small things to do. This gentleman just was not interested in that. And it was a pretty tired house. He kept saying, well, the market's great. And, you know, I think it's just going to sell as it is. And when we transitioned over to talking about marketing, same kind of thing. He says, You know, I just think we need some photos and put it on the MLS and a sign in front. So, whether I get this listing or not, it's to be determined. I'm optimistic. It went better than that makes it sound at the end, but it was kind of eye opener for me that, you know, that is when you start to experience a little bit of a cool down in the market. When sellers across the board, and I'm not saying that's the case, but this guy certainly had that perception, start to think, that the market is so hot that they really don't need to do much to their house and they really don't need to market it and they can just throw it out there. And By the way, they can throw it at the highest price imaginable. You're going to have some ebbs and flows in the, in the market. A couple last things. I mean, we're still at 60 days on market time. Or I'm sorry, we went up to 60 days market time, which was up a little bit, but the inventory is still at 1.8 months. And then one last thing that I was going to say, and I shared this with you before. One of our listeners emailed me yesterday, actually. And she's actually a consumer. Her name is Stephanie. I'll give you her first name. And she listens to our show, which was pretty cool for me and for you because our show is designed mostly for professionals, people that are high level interested in real estate, brokers, mortgage lenders, builders, developers, you name it. But Stephanie's just in the, she's in the home buying market and she's in a little bit lower price point. She told me about 300,000. After I got the email, I actually called her and we chatted for a while and potentially my team is hoping for the opportunity to work with her on this. We're kind of still going back and forth on that. But she had a great question, and I'm going to actually read it. She said, when speaking about trends in the beginning of the sh- your show, you have been quoting appreciation rates around 6 to 8%. However, appreciation seems to be much higher, and she actually capitalized much. But I've only been looking since November of last year. Is this because of the time of year, spring versus fall, or are our search locations, or is the appreciation number actually then posted by RMLS? It has been mentioned that once appreciation rates get above 10%, it might be time to reevaluate purchasing. I'm paraphrasing, of course. Thank you so much for your time, Stephanie. So I talked to Stephanie a little bit about this, and it's a fantastic question. And one of the things I pointed out to her is that, and by the way, the market action report says right here, Portland Metro, 7.1% increase. There's actually two ways to measure that. There's the median, and then there's the average sale price. The average 7.1 yeah. and 7.8. So they're both in the 7s. And so she's right when she says 6 to 8%. She's right. It's smack dab in the middle there based on this month's market action report. The thing about the market action report, that is the entire Portland metro area. So it averages North Portland, which you and I have said and can see here is at 15% And then it averages other areas. I think Lake Oswego is, you know,
0: down in the fours or five. Yeah, we were at 3.2% in Lake Oswego-Westland year over year from February 2016 to February 2015. So, yeah, big disparity there. Obviously, North Portland, we all know how I feel about the numbers in North Portland. I feel that maybe that's a suspect area based on that. And after seeing 15.7%, you know, I'm holding strong on my opinion of that. Now, not all of North Portland, but there's definitely parts of it that I think, you know, could go flat for a while at a minimum to kind of balance out that 15.7%, because that is a pretty radical number. But then you see 3.2 in Westland and Lake Oswego. And that makes me feel pretty good in terms of you know, future projects that we have coming out, prospective prices that we've come up with. You know, we're not going to have to dial those back really much because we've got you know, a pretty conservative growth rate over the last 12 months there.
1: Yeah, and, and the other thing that I mentioned to Stephanie about this when we, we chatted on the phone yesterday was price points are also different in how they appreciate. And that's actually shown right there, because Lake go Westland have a higher average price point than, say, North Portland or Southeast. So... In other words, to give a real world example, you know, hypothetical example, if you have you could have a 2 million dollar house out there that a year ago was worth 2 million dollars and today it sells for 2 million dollars and it really hasn't seen a lot of appreciation. Now I'm not saying that's a- the case across the board. I'm just saying that could be a scenario out there. On the flip side of that, you could have a 280,000 dollar house that was worth 280 a year ago. Now it's worth three twenty, three thirty because there's such a big buyer pool. And that's that battle axe price point. They're going into multiple offers. There's tremendous demand. That's where the vast majority of buyers are. So in conclusion, I mean, Stephanie, if you feel like prices are going a little crazier than the 6 to 8% or 7% in your price point, that could be very well because it is.
0: <laughs> yeah. And I think as you couple those two things, right, just to give everybody some perspective, the average sale price in North Portland... On the latest RMLS action report was 361,800. And then the price change year over year was 15.7%. The average sale price in Westland Lake Oswego was $551,200. And the average change in sale price over the past year was 3.2%. So obviously, any percentage change on those higher price points represents a larger number than it would in a lower price point, but still a rather dramatic difference in increase regardless of that. And so as you couple, you know, Battle Axe price point with The most buyers in the market, that's where you're going to see the most appreciation. And, you know, people are seeing that in the areas that have, you know, those more affordable entry level type neighborhoods, depending on where you're at. Now, that kind of brings me to my next point about your your listing appointment. And I think that is a good tell, right? When people start to think that I don't need to do anything to prep my house, my house is perfect, it's dated, it's dirty, but guess what? People will buy it. And I'm not saying this guy's house is that way, but you get my point. We don't need to do anything special other than take a curb shot, put it on RMLS and list it at 100% of retail and somebody's going to buy it with 18 offers. When we get to that point, It scares me a little bit because you're right. I mean, it doesn't scare. I think it's good we got there because those are the listings that are going to go out there. They're likely going to get stale. They're going to reduce down the the buyers in the market and go, you know, that's a pretty expensive price for a house that needs quite a bit of updating, cleaning. The roof is probably 15 years in. You know, it's got old aluminum windows. It hasn't had any updates. The carpet's, like, kind of dirty, and there's a dog in the house. You know, now the market starts to slow down, right? That one seller becomes 100 sellers, becomes 1,000 sellers in the marketplace, and those prices start here, and they can work their way down because the buyers aren't rewarding them for that attitude or that opinion of value and so when people start to think that their house is the greatest house in the world, even though it's far from it, and they deserve 100 cents on the dollar for what it's worth without doing any major, you know, updating or just some light updating and, and cleaning and, you know, some staging and things like that to make the house more desirable, it's a good indicator of what's happening in seller psyche. And I think you're right. I think that we're probably you know, the market's going to stay strong, but I think there's going to be a lot of those listings out there that agents go to the listing appointment. Obviously, you want to get business as an agent, but you're going to get these strong-minded sellers that feel like their house is fine and they don't want to hear otherwise. And, if you tell them otherwise, maybe they just go to the next agent until somebody tells them what they want to hear. And then they list the property and then it sits and it doesn't sell. And it ends up being an unhappy transaction for everybody because they just didn't want to take advice from the beginning or just really look at their house through a realistic pair of glasses and say, you know what? House is dated. It's dirty. The roof is questionable. It's got federal Pacific panel in it. It's got an old furnace. You know, maybe it's got cadet wall heaters and it doesn't have an actual, you know, gas furnace. Maybe we should price it at 90 cents on the dollar, not 100 cents on the dollar of what, you know, it could be worth comp-wise, you know. But until that happens, you know, the market will kind of, it'll overextend itself, it'll adjust backwards. And I think we're probably at that point where we're going to see some of these prices that come out. They're going to be a little ridiculous, but the market will correct it. And then as we head into summer, you know, they'll probably do that little ebb and flow thing that the market did, you know, towards the end of last year, you know, September, October, November. You know, the market went out, it brought prices down a little bit, buyers came back in the market, and now we have tons and tons of offers again, whereas we talked about it back in that time period, it was a little bit of a lull. And really, because of the same thing that we're kind of talking about here, so other than that, you know, I'm not seeing anything crazy. You know, I will say that area plays a big factor in how quickly your stuff sells. I'm sure you have some listings out there, Steve, that uh, you had one in Southeast Portland that sold for a ridiculous amount over listing. We had one here in the office too that did. but then we have another one that's in a you know in an edge area in between Lake Oswego and West Lynn that you know it's around the million dollar price point. It's a great house. But it's not flying off the shelf. The the seller's priced it, you know, probably on the high side of what it's worth. But I think you can get away with that more in those price points that are more entry level in those closer in neighborhoods that are just everybody and their mother wants to buy there and be there. But as you kind of deviate from those price points in those areas you know, you can't be as aggressive in your pricing right now. So I, I definitely don't think it's across the board craziness. But, you know, if you get a close in Southeast or close in Northeast listing, you can pretty much anticipate as long as it's a decent product, you're going to probably get a ton of interest.
1: Yeah. And we talked about this last week or the week before. Those sellers of those properties, the latter property, the one in Westland that's a million dollars and it's, you know, it's not catching fire. They're reading the headlines of the Southeast Portland properties. Yeah. So the expectation oftentimes is, as we've been saying, that I'm going to put this on the market. I'm going to have four or five or more offers first weekend. And so it can be challenging as a broker. I mean you kind of have to manage those expectations, certainly somewhat upfront, but certainly as you hit the market and that doesn't happen, you need to start dialoguing with them that look, you know, not every house does go through that. Because if you don't, you're going to look like the the bad guy. You're going to look like the broker who's who's holding them back because everyone else is going into multiple offers. But somehow they didn't.
0: Yeah, they're going to feel that resentment piece is going to be there, even though it, it may not be warranted it's going to be there because like you said, they're reading the headlines and the market's on fire. And they heard about these friends of theirs that got 50 offers and that sold for a hundred grand over list. And they're thinking, Steve, what's wrong with you? Why is my house not got a single offer? It must be you, right? So I I think you're right. Communication is the key there. And just recognizing, you know, the price point you're in and the area you're in and, and really just being realistic about those things.
1: Yeah, in telling them I said this at my listing appointment yesterday, the one we were talking about, where he didn't really want to do improvements or or hardly market the property for that matter. You know, I told him not every house is going into multiple offers. The average days on the market is sixty days. And I reminded him when the average days on the market is sixty days. That's sixty days as active. Again, that's not fifteen days as active, then it goes pending with a forty-five day close. That's sixty days active. So the average house in Portland is on the market for two months as of this report. So it's a fallacy to assume that every house is going into multiple offers, despite what all the headlines are saying.
0: Yeah, I, I agree. But bottom line is the market's still very strong, depending on your area or where your house is. Obviously, and price point, it's stronger than in others. But, you know, 60 days on the market is still a relatively short amount of time to get your property sold. And if you want it sold quicker, just price it right. And it'll still sell these days. Don't, don't push the envelope in terms of what you think it's worth. And it'll still sell really quickly. Yep. So other than that, uh, I think there was maybe one other uh, headline or article that uh, we were going to discuss before we uh, wrap up this episode. What, Which one did you want to talk about, Steve?
1: There's actually two. The one's real okay. quick. There was a new tenant law proposed down in Salem that's going to change so that landlords cannot raise rent in the first year on a month-to-month rental. I think that's a great change. I think that's a little shady. If you put an ad out there as a landlord... And you induce a renter to come move into your property on a month-to-month basis, and in the first year, you're changing that number on him or her. I think that's a little bit – I just don't think that's a great thing for the consumer. So I fully support that, and I think that's a good change. And there's a lot of tenant laws changing in our state because there are so many – there's such a demand for rentals, and there's a lot of people that are kind of getting – Thrown around in this process. Not all these changes are great, but I think that was a fairly positive one.
0: And I agree. Before we get to the next thing, I, I, you know, even me, the big bad developer, home builder, capitalist, I, I agree there. And you know, I have a, a number of month-to-month rentals right now, and you know, I have actually elected not to raise the rents on people, even though I know they're getting a fantastic deal. So I get it. Even those of us that are on the other side of the coin, you know, we're not adamantly opposed to everything that protects renters. Um, you know, obviously, I don't want to put uh, people in the way of hardship. And if somebody's going to move into our one of our properties, you know, obviously, we like to keep them there and keep them happy. And so, uh, you know, I think you should market the property for what you're willing to rent it for, for at least that year time period.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And then the last headline, this is a proposal. This is by no means a done deal, but it is a proposal for the city of Portland, which would be the first city anywhere to have this, mind you. And (laughs) it says and states that any house that's being demolished, and they actually, in the article, they said 300 homes in Portland were demolished last year. That's the figure they put out. Any home that's demolished has to be taken apart by hand and recycled. So it effectively is, in some manner, a demolition tax, which we had talked about being proposed before. Now that was a straight up demolition tax, where the city just took money. This is not going to the city. It's just, there's obviously, and I'll let you speak more about this, Tucker, because you're way more familiar with this than me, but because it's taken apart by hand versus machine, it takes much longer, so there's more carrying costs for the developer there's more cost for labor. It's probably, they, they quoted 40 to 60% more cost than if they were able to bring in machinery and do it. It's not a done deal. It said that they are going to vote on it in May to make it an ordinance. And if that were the case, then it would take effect in October. And the argument for it, and I'll just, you know, it's a good argument. It's a solid argument, even though was it we recycle cars and we recycle paper bags why don't we recycle houses which are much larger and could take a lot more space in in landfills etc so what's your take on that tucker
0: you know first off i i get where they're coming from in terms of that uh, what a lot of people don't realize is that when you cart off you know demolished structures in those dumpsters most of those companies sift and sort the material and they recycle everything that they can already So it becomes essentially the disposal company takes it, they sift it, they sort it, they recycle what they can already, but they just don't do it on site. So because people don't see it, they don't think that it happens, at least to some degree. The other thing I read in the article is that it applies to historic homes, uh, and it also applies to homes that are built before 1916. Now, we've renovated a lot of homes. I've looked at a ton of homes in Portland, and I can tell you Virtually every house that I've looked at that was built before 1916 is not structurally sound, it has major issues, and there really isn't a whole lot that's left in the house that would be considered of value to anybody. And, you know, another thing, too, to, to, to bring up is that, you know, when we demolish houses— you know, we give everything we can to Habitat for Humanity. We bring in some of the uh, places that, you know, like to have older stuff to take the doors, take the trim. You know, we do everything that we can to give these things to organizations that can reuse them. So it's not like most developers just go, you know, knock down the entire house without stripping it first. So, you know, I think that's just a misconception. The problem is, is that now they want you to literally deconstruct the entire house all the way down to the foundation for anything that was built before nineteen sixteen and anything that would be considered historic now for example anything in the lads Edition neighborhood would be considered historic it's a historic neighborhood and you know we've done one project in Lads edition i will never ever ever do another one in there not because i hate lads Edition, but because the amount of Bureaucratic BS that we had to go through to literally replace the windows, to replace some siding. You know, it had an old carport that was just run down, dilapidated, had a screen across half of it to enclose that so that it's safe and people can put their stuff in the garage without it being stolen because, as you know, there's a fair bit of homeless population that wanders through, you know, Lad's Edition. And so, just stuff like that. I mean, you cannot make any exterior changes to your homes in areas like Lads Edition or even in historic Irvington without going through the bureaucracy of it. And that's why you see a lot of houses that really have had very little done to them. And so it's not me you know, tearing into historic areas, but the more bureaucracy and layers of approval that you put on things, uh, the more difficult it is for things to get done. So my point is, is that those older homes that are also historic, they've been uh, left to kind of go to pot, so to speak, in a lot of ways. Some people take care of them. There are occasionally people that do, but there's a lot that don't because it's a very big challenge to go through not only the fees, but the waiting timelines and all these things to deal with renovations in neighborhoods like that. And so for the most part, these older homes and these historic homes are not in good shape, and there's not a lot that can be kept from them. So bottom line is responsible builders, developers, they strip the houses anyway, and then they dumpster the rest and the dumpster companies usually sift and sort and recycle everything that they can. So I think that this law is much to do about nothing except for the fact that it's now going to increase demolition costs by a substantial number. And all that's going to do is eventually pass that cost on to the consumer or it's going to take that money away from the seller because the builder, developer is going to have to factor those costs in one way or another. And so it really, you know, businesses are flow through entities. In terms of cost, they pass them on or they or they take them out of the front end on the acquisition of whatever the product is they're buying. And so that's you know, with the teardown tax, and this is essentially a variation of that. The sellers of properties that have homes that should be torn down or demolished are now going to have to take a little less money for their homes, which means less money for them upon sale, which means less money for retirement in their savings account, whatever, or those costs are gonna be pushed on to the buyer of the new project, given that the market can support it. And that just means that home prices will be even slightly higher in these closer-in areas, which, you know, everybody wants affordable housing. But you start imposing things like this, and it really takes from the person living in Portland, the buyer, the consumer, more than it does anything else. And that's the thing that people don't realize. So I get where they're coming from. I understand the desire to recycle things. But for the most part, that's done for everything that can be used right now anyway. So. I just think that doing things like this, there's a reason why no other city in the country requires this. And, you know, I'm hoping that our politicians can understand this and just realize that it happens to, you know, a decent extent already. So that's my take on it.
1: Yeah, good stuff. Good stuff.
0: So, well, I think we covered some good ground on this episode, some entertainment, some education for sure. And, you know, all in all, I think the market looks pretty solid out there. And, you know, I'm just excited that we're able to be in the real estate industry this year. It looks like it's going to be another continue to be another great one for both of us. So any final parting words of wisdom or thought before uh, we wrap up episode twenty nine?
1: Not so much. I think we covered a lot of good stuff here, Tucker. I'm excited to be back on here next week.
0: Okay, we'll call it a wrap. Everybody out there in the Listener we will be back next week. We're shooting for uh, another great guest. Uh, we'll keep it a surprise for now, but stay tuned till next week, and we'll see you guys then.